0: Well, good morning. morning. Hey, welcome back for those of you who uh, were here last week or those of you who are maybe coming back after a hiatus, uh, watching us online or wherever it is or however you are here. We're just glad... That you're here as the celebration continues. As Dan mentioned before, of course, we're in the season of Easter. So it's very appropriate in that spirit of the risen Christ and that resurrection that has happened not just to us, but for us and in us and will continue on through us. It's very appropriate to be reminded to say, Christ is risen. Good job. Way to go. We continue in that spirit, and we should. You know, the the following Sunday after Easter, some pastors like to call that low Sunday (laughs) because oftentimes that's what attendance looks like. Um, But you know what? Uh, We're strong. We're strong. We've been strong today. It's a high Sunday because God is good, and he's been showing us all kinds of love in all kinds of different ways uh, throughout this week and throughout this season. You know, something else that often occurs and coincides with that Sunday after Easter, some people have come to call it Hilarity Sunday uh, because it's a time to share jokes. it's a time to, to, to have some fun and laugh a bit because we laugh at the fact that the devil didn't win. the joke is on him. And we have a celebration that we get to have in that. So it's not uncommon to share some jokes today. I, I don't have a joke, but I do have a, a little bit of a kind of a funny story. Um, uh, it, last week, as we were finishing up our sermon and our services, you see there's a great big hope that is out there in the commons. And that crown of thorns that was there through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday became a, a beautiful wreath of flowers. And then the H and the P and the E got put around it. So it became hope, a beautiful visual. And, uh, and we were like, oh, can we keep that up for another week or so? I was, absolutely be great to keep that up for a week. And then somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know, maybe it would make some sense to like just take down the H and leave it for us Minnesotans to be Op. <laughs> Ope. Oh, yep. I thought that's great. That's perfect. That, just, that made my day that day. Oh, man. So, you know, as we do come to this, to this Easter season and the Sunday following Easter, there's a natural question. It's a good question, which is, so now What? <clears throat> So now what, okay? Christ is risen, he's risen indeed, but now what? What comes next? What does it mean to move from the darkness and death of the tomb into that bright light of day and life in Jesus? Well, for us, it means to live a life of love in community. That's what we're talking about. That's our new sermon series. And today we begin that sermon series because we're going to focus on living that life of love in community by looking at the letters of the Apostle John, who is also known in the Scriptures as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that, that, even that title in there kind of begs a question. It's like, what did, like, Jesus not love the other disciples? <laughs> it's just like, well, here's the, 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 the disciple who Jesus loved, but here's Peter, the disciple who Jesus tolerated, and, and then here's the, you know, the, the, the disciple who Jesus really liked the way they cooked, but not the way that they smelled so much or whatever. Yeah, it's like, it's like, no, you know, did he have other descriptors for the other disciples? I don't know. But when you see that, you know, is this the disciple whom Jesus loved? What's so special about John. Well, you know what? Actually, it's a question that biblical scholars have like, asked throughout history. People have wondered, what is it in particular about John? Because one thing that's clear to anybody who has read the gospel according to John or any of John's letters or the book of Revelation, which is attributed also to the apostle John, will know that John had a unique and very particular perspective and way of understanding who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Now, it wasn't in contradiction to the other gospel writers, not at all. It's a compliment to them. It wasn't a conflicting perspective, it was a perspective that helped to bring beautiful clarity to the kind of community Jesus was looking to build with his disciples a community built on God's incredible, overwhelming, unconditional love. Love is a word that John used a lot. He used it in his gospel. He used it a lot throughout his letters. And there's a passage that kind of encapsulates this community love in the gospel of John, beginning at chapter 15. And I wanted to read it to you today. If you have a Bible that you brought with you today that's wonderful, you can open up to the gospel of John chapter 15. I'm gonna be reading beginning at verse nine going on through 17. You can follow along with me as I read. These are the words of Jesus. As the Father has loved me... other. A lot of love in that passage, yes. I I don't know if anybody counted up the total number of loves that were in there. I didn't, but I figured there's always somebody out there who's like, let me just count words as the pastor's speaking. It helps me keep awake while he's preaching, you know. (laughs) Um, But there's just, there's a lot of love in that passage, a lot of love in the letters of John 2. But what does love mean? You know, we talk about love, and here's the thing. In Greek, in ancient Greek, there were actually four different words that they used for love, we just have one that kind of encompasses all of it. But there were four different words used for love. The first word was eros. You might hear in that word eros uh, a derivative that we have, erotic. Ero, eros, it, it means the love that a husband and wife share together. Okay, that kind of love. And then there's storge, storge love. That's familial love, okay? That's the kind of love that's loyalty within your family. There's another version of love called philia, okay? It's where we get the word philadelphia. Okay, the city of brotherly love, it's brotherly love. Okay? The love that we share from one to another. And then there is agape, agape love. And this is the love most often attributed to God himself. It's unconditional love, unconditional love. Now, some people get really hung up on trying to read through the New Testament or other spots and be like, well, which version of love is that, Pastor? And we need to know what version of love in particular is, is there. And you know what? Honestly, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I'll tell you why because Jesus himself in this particular passage here in John he goes back and forth between two versions of love the two most common ones that show up in the New Testament philia okay, and agape he goes right back and forth between the two of them almost seamlessly kind of moving from one to the other and, and it really stands out most prominently if we try to kind of determine what the differences are in these kinds of love well Jesus says my command is this love each other as I have loved you so it's show this kind of brotherly love and the same kind of brotherly love that I have towards you, but at the same time, it's also an agape kind of God-filled love that he shows and that he's showing to us, an unconditional love. So all of these versions of love have their place. But loving each other as I have loved you, well, that's the challenge that Jesus puts out. Wow. Loving one another the way that Jesus loves us, that's setting the bar pretty high, don't you think? Thanks, Jesus. I mean, wow, that's a high bar to set. But Jesus sets it, and John records it. And then in John's letters, well, he helps even expand on it further and also clarify how this kind of love is so different from the way love is often expressed in the world. And that leads us to our first passage in one of the letters of John that I want to focus on today. It's John chapter, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 2. Beginning at verse 15. Again, if you want to write that down or if you want to page forward to that today, John's first letter, 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Hear what John has to say here. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Let's pause right there. That passage sounds confusing. Wait a minute. Pastor, didn't we just hear Jesus say that we're supposed to love one another the way he loved us? And, and now all of a sudden it's like John is saying, Oh, wait a minute, don't love the world. Don't, don't love anything in the world. Is he suggesting that we're supposed to like hate the world or, or like dismiss the world? Not at all. Not at all. We're not. No. I mean, John would be contradicting himself. He would be contradicting the very words that he recorded of Jesus in his gospel, John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So clearly, John can't be saying that you're supposed to hate the world. But it's interesting in this day and age because I see an awful lot of hate being thrown around. And unfortunately, I see an awful lot of hate being thrown around in Jesus' name towards one another, towards others, towards the world. And we gotta get that right, folks, because that's not in the heart of Jesus. That doesn't line up with what John has shown us. It doesn't line up with what Jesus has commanded us to do and be for one another and towards the world. It just doesn't line up. So clearly, John must be talking about something else here when he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And he clarifies it himself as he continues on in verse 16, because here's what it says. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Three different things. Three different ways in which the world loves. You see, here's the thing. We're not looking to to, to hate the world, not at all. John is saying that we should not love the way the world loves. That's what he's saying. And the way that the world loves often revolves around these three things, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, apart from the meanings that can sometimes be easily drawn from these words, lust, right? People think about that in terms of erotic love and and sexuality and all those kinds of things. But there's something deeper going on here, okay? There's something more profound that John is saying here. Because you see, lust of the eye has to do with loving others to make you look good or because they look good. And that's not just talking about physical attraction. We're talking about how easy it is to celebrate the beautiful people, to look at external beauty and make that the highest value in love. And then from that place to then look at those who others will call unlovely and decide to not pay the attention towards them. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus spent time with those who were considered to be unlovely. He spent time with lepers, those who were considered unclean, prostitutes, those who would certainly be considered unclean. He spent time with the outcast, he spent time showing love to those who were unlovely. It wasn't just about how they looked again, don't get me wrong. Jesus isn't saying that there's something wrong with being beautiful. Okay, That's not the point. What he's saying is that when we make that the focus of love or the reason for which we love someone, we're going to get it wrong. That makes it about us. Loving others to make you look good or because they look good. I want to be around those people. Because if I'm around those people, then I'll look good. That's not what Jesus calls us to be it's not the kind of love that God invites us into that's lust of the eye then there's lust of the flesh what is that about well that's loving others to make you feel good now again different meanings clear meanings that we can talk about from from realms of sexuality and things like that but more importantly loving others to make you feel good in other words it's like hey I want to go out and do this thing for others because I feel so much better after I've done something nice for those people That's a love that's focused on you, centered on you, on your needs, on you feeling fulfilled. Oh, I feel so much better after I've gone and done something nice for somebody. If that becomes the focus, if that becomes the purpose of the way in which you love, that's a lust of the flesh. So lust of the eye, loving others to make you look good or because they look good. Lust of the flesh, loving others to make you feel good. And then the third one, which is pride of life. And that's loving others to prove you are good. That's when you make it a, a, a point system. Boy, I, I want to, to do nice things for other people, because the more I do nice things for nice people, that means that I'm really a good person. I'm really a good person. Look at me. Look at all the good things that I have done. I've done so many good things for other people. I, I must mean that I'm good. No, you're not. (laughs) Neither am I. Doing good things doesn't make you good. That's not how this works. We're not trying to prove something to God about how good we are or prove something to others about how good we are, how righteous we are. Again, the center of all of these things is that it becomes something about you. When that love becomes something about you, that's not the same kind of love that God is talking about or that John is talking about. This is the way worldly love works. We are called to a different kind of love. And in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, John starts to reveal what this kind of love is about. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, it starts and says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, this is the kind of love that we're called to share in our community. And it's a costly love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that requires work. We have a value here at CGLC, and, and Pastor Angie already mentioned it this morning. It's good, because they're up on the walls, and we should always be remembering them and memorizing them. One of them is that love pours out. Love pours out. And built into that value is an action, right? Love pours out. There's something active that is happening there. I like to envision it this way. It's like we've got, we've got a glass, and we've got a pitcher, And there's an action that is involved in pouring out love. But if we miss it, if we just make it about like words and speech, it's like holding up the glass and being like, Glass, you know, you really ought to be filled. I mean, really. It would be good for you. I mean, I really care a lot about you, and and I really want you to be filled. And I think that would be really, really great. So, So go be filled. Yeah. No, folks. Love pours out. <laughs> yeah. There's an action involved. There's the pitcher, and there's the cup. There's something active that happens here so that that cup of water can refresh someone. Right? There's an action that goes with this, not just with words And with speech, but with actions and in truth. In truth. Now, what does that mean? Well, listen, there is only one truth. And that truth isn't just a concept. That truth isn't just a bunch of propositions. That truth is a person. That's the person of Jesus. Okay? Jesus is truth. And who he is is truth. And we want to make sure that there's no substitute for Jesus. That what pours out is the real thing. Really, Jesus. You know, I've performed a lot of baptisms in my life, and, and there's one story that just sticks out for me about this. It, it was a few years back. I was at my former congregation, and, uh, and I was performing a baptism. It was an adult baptism, and so they were coming with some close family members, and, and we did it during the day because that was the time that all the family could get together and be with us. And so we were in our side chapel, and, and everything was set up. All the, the, the bowl was out, and, and it was filled, and we, we had the, the candle was ready to go, and all, everything was out there. And, and, and as it turns out, that particular day, we had a new person on the altar guild who helped prepare everything. And put everything out there. And it was, it was wonderful, great. So I looked at it. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. They did a fantastic job. It's all right here. This is great. So we got to that point where we're talking about the words. I'm ready to baptize this young woman. And she, she, she leans her head forward. And, and I reached down into the, into the pool. And, 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 it, and it felt kind of funny. And, and, and I kind of, I, so I, but I still, I was right in the middle of it. So I, kind of, you know, I, I scooped some up and I went, in the name of the Father. And then, I re- then the smell hit me. It was candle oil. There was candle oil instead of water. Clear, crystal clear candle oil. Well, God bless this dear person. When they were preparing everything, they saw these bottles on the shelf. Looked bright and clear, looked like water. Thought, well, maybe they used some kind of special water here. So that's what she poured into the bowl And I got one scoop of oil onto this young woman's head, and I went, whoa, whoa, stop, time out. Um, Oh, okay, whatever you do, don't light the candle. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm like, I'm so sorry, but uh, this is not, we got to scoop this out. We'll get some fresh water here. You want to go clean up a little bit, that'd be great. They were so gracious. She she went over, got cleaned up, and came back over, and we had fresh water in there. We did the baptism, and and I got done, and I said, hey, guess what? So this is really cool, because not only did you get baptized today, but because I anointed you with oil, I think you're a king now. I mean, it was crazy. It was just crazy. I never had an experience like that before. Of course, as you can imagine, this new person who helped put this all together was just mortified. I went to them. I said, it's okay. Everything worked out all right. It's not a big deal. God bless you. This family had great humor. Again, you know, you got to have some fun here, folks. We take God very seriously. Don't take ourselves so seriously. But you want to have the real thing. Okay, you want to make sure that what you're pouring out is the real Jesus, okay, and not something else, not just good works or or not just a pat on the back for yourself or for them. We're Christians. We love in the name of Jesus, not to make us look good, not to make us feel good, but to make God look good, to bring him joy, the joy that Jesus wants us to be filled with, his joy, his joy. Making his joy complete. That's what we desire, for it to be the real thing. That's the truth. Friends, here's the thing our community, all around us, is thirsty. Some of them don't even know it, but they're thirsty and they're holding empty cups. And we're the church. We're the followers of Jesus. We've got the pitcher filled with the living water, Jesus himself. And they don't need to hear us just talk about it and talk about him. They need us to take that pitcher and pour it out into each and every one of them so that they too can know this love. And then it gets poured back into us because that's just the way Jesus works. All you can drink refills with Jesus, friends, keeps filling us again and again. And sometimes you may be in that place where you're feeling empty. And you're right here this morning going, I'm the one who feels dry. I'm the one who could use a drink. Friends, this is the place to get a drink. This is the place to have somebody love you and show love to you. And maybe you have a practical need that can be met. That's what we're here for. We're the body of Christ. That's why we're called to be together as a community and to love one another in community. It's a labor of love. and Sometimes it takes some sacrifice and some work on our part. So I want to give you a concrete example and an opportunity. We have a great partnership with the White Bear Area Emergency Food Shelf. We do a variety of things with them throughout the year, and and it just so happens the executive director over there, Perry Peterson, is somebody many of you may know, because Perry was on staff here for a very long time. And we've continued to have a great relationship through Perry and through the White Bear Area Emergency Food Shelf. And they do something that, that they haven't been able to do in a couple of years here now, something called Stamp Out Hunger. Maybe you've heard of it before. Stamp out hunger. It's when people are able to put together packages of groceries, dry goods, and, and other things that are, that are non-perishables. And they, they put them out by their, their mailbox, and then the, the postman or postwoman comes by and picks those things up, and they drop them off, and then they're sorted by the food shelf, and, and everybody wins, okay? The community is able to, to get more food for people who are, who are in need of something practical and real and tangible in their lives. Well, well we want to do that this year, but there's a little bit of a hitch. We're not sure if it's going to happen or not because we're still trying to work out some details with with the the post office, but we're going to act and plan like it's going to happen. And the date for it is May 14th. It's Saturday, May 14th. It's from 2.30 until 6.30, and it's right here. The food is going to get brought here. It's going to get dropped off here. And what the food shelf needs, Perry's got a team who will train you, but what they need is people who will be here to help sort that food. Get it all sorted out and put it into the individual areas that it needs to be. And we need an army of volunteers. We need like 50 volunteers who would come and give four hours of their time, sacrifice four hours of their time on a Saturday to come and be here. Now I want you to pencil that into your calendar if that's you. Because even though we're not sure if this is going to happen, we're, we're not putting out the sign-up sheet until we're absolutely certain, but even if, if that winds up being Mother's Day when we get the absolute clear go-ahead, I have no trouble believing that this congregation is going to have no problem coming up with 50 people who want to pour out some love on our community that way. So I want you to be thinking about it, planning for it, praying about it yourself if that's something that you can participate in. There is a great practical way for you to pour out love. a Beautiful, wonderful thing. But now let me say this in closing as we wrap up our time together here today. It's really important that you know this and that you hear this, okay? You are not loved because you do things for your neighbor, That's not why you're loved. You are loved because God has chosen to love you. He has chosen to love you. Despite the fact that we often fail one another or fail God or or don't measure up, God's love for you is an unconditional love. And he loves you first. And we love others as an outpouring and a response to that love. Martin Luther said it best. He said, God doesn't need your good works. He loves you. God doesn't need your good works. But your neighbor does. Your neighbor does. So we love our neighbor. And when we don't get it right, and when we often fail, which we certainly will, we need to hear this, as John continues to say in verse 19 from chapter 2 of 1 John. He says this, This is how we know To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Aren't those good words? It doesn't depend on you. It all depends on God. It's a gift of his spirit. It's a gift of his love towards you. And then we turn around and we love our neighbors and we live in love in our community. Not so we look good, not so we feel good, not to prove we are good, but to simply show how good God really is. Amen? Let's go to work, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this community right here and the way that you continue to pour out love on us and in us. And Lord, my prayer, especially today, is that anybody who is hearing this message today who is maybe feeling disconnected from community or or who's maybe wondering whether they are lovable or Lord, maybe even has, has been in a place where they felt hurt by the community and thought, you know what, somebody acted very unlovingly towards me and so, so I, I don't feel love towards my neighbor or towards my friend or even towards myself. Father, your grace is big enough. Father, I pray that, that we would be able to live in that love that forgives, that love that extends grace, that love that, that apologizes and says, I'm sorry, but the time that I, that I missed it, that I, I didn't hit the mark, that I failed, Lord, and I failed you, and I failed my neighbor. Lord, your grace is big enough, and your love, Jesus, has made us family, and we want that love to pour out all around us, whether it's the seat right next to us, or the home next to us in our neighborhood, or the desk that's across from ours in our office or in the locker that's next to us in school, wherever it might be, Lord. Show us, Lord, how to best show your love in a way that makes you look good, in a way that brings you joy, in a way that shows once again, Lord, your incredible love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for this community and for the love that we get to show in it. We pray these things today, Jesus, in your name. Amen.